Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Jeff C. You're going to shoot the skunk, but I'm going to supervise. <laughs> now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Ray Harris and the fusion experience behind me now. We are calling this week's episode Young and Old, three stories that hit on that theme in very different ways. Uh little bit of a warning, uh, the middle one, the second story, is about an abusive situation along the lines of young and old. These stories on this week's episode are going to come to us from shows that were recorded in Phoenix and New Orleans. And be sure to check our website for our upcoming shows in Los Angeles, New York, Austin, D.C., Washington, D.C., and San Francisco. Now, in a little bit, we are going to hear from Zoe, a first-time storyteller who shared a story with us in Phoenix, Arizona. But before that, another story that was shared at that Phoenix show. We named it after an old Robert Lowell poem. This is Jeff C. with a story we call Skunk Hour.
when my parents told me that they were going to buy this place in Montana, that they were going to live half the year at, part of me was happy. They were finally doing this thing that they always wanted to do. They wanted to just be out in the country. So before they purchased it, they wanted me to come out and give them my final blessing. I go out there. There's pastures. There's bales of hay. There's dirt roads. It's a country music song, and it's the middle of nowhere. And I tell them, I'm like, this place is great, but, um, you know, this is 40 miles from the closest hospital. Like, what? Like, you guys are getting old. Uh, Is this a good idea? And uh, they said, Jeffrey, don't worry. And as the firstborn son, that's my job to worry. Like... Middle child eh, doesn't really worry. Youngest child, she does have some worry. But firstborn child, lots of worry. So I'm like, you know, what do you do? They're like, nothing's going to happen. I'm like, that's not how life works. (laughs) So a year later, I'm out mountain biking with a friend. It's nine in the morning, and we've taken a break. I look at my phone, and I see that my parents had called, and for them to call at 9 in the morning on a Saturday is not good. So I listen to the message, and it's my dad. Wants another sign that things weren't good because my mom's the one who always initiates calls. My dad left a message. The message is this. Jeffrey, your mother is sick. And then in the background, I hear my mom say something, and then the message is over. I listened to it again, trying to get some sort of meaning or to get more information from it. Jeffrey, your mother's sick. Inintelligible words from my mom. I'm like, what? So I try calling them back, and the phone is busy. I try calling back again. The phone is still busy. Someone left the phone off the hook. Finally, I get a hold of my dad later in that day, and uh, my mom had been taken by ambulance 40 miles away to that hospital, and um, she had had a stroke. And she was doing okay, but they didn't know the prognosis. They didn't know what the damage was. And for me this was the worst thing that could happen. I mean, my mom does all the driving. She does all the cooking. She's like 12 years younger. For my mom to go down is, is a big deal. So my sister flies out there. I get in my car. I load up with two iced coffees and a bag full of pastries, and I drive 18 hours which is usually a beautiful drive. If you've ever driven through Utah, beautiful canyons picturesque mesas and I'm just cursing the universe cursing the western landscape and my parents love of it (laughs) so I get out there and I'm helping out I'm a man of a certain age who lives alone who has a hard time taking care of myself at times Sometimes dinner is at 10 p.m., and sometimes it's just a tortilla with what's ever in the refrigerator. So now I'm taking care of Dad, and that's 
not going to work. But I'm there and I feel good. I'm helping them out. My mom's at this nursing home, like rehabilitation place. And we go up and visit her. She's the youngest person there, which turns into this funny joke. Um, A lot of people watching Wheel of Fortune. My mom uh, wasn't in that age bracket, thankfully. So my mom finally gets out of this nursing home and she comes back to the house that they have and that feels better. It feels good to have her out of this clinical setting. So I'm driving her to physical rehab a couple times a week, which is 30 miles away because everything in Montana is so far. But country roads, wheat, alfalfa. My sister comes out, she's helping. My brother comes out. One day, my sister is cleaning up things and she goes in my dad's room and on the nightstand is a gun. It's a 45 caliber pistol. My sister takes me aside later. She's like, Jeff, dad cannot have a gun here. Like, I'm really upset. He needs to get rid of it. And part of me is like, you're kind of overreacting. Like, my dad's been a gun owner all his life. He's always been responsible. He's always taught us gun safety. Treat every gun like it's loaded. Always have control over it. So I'm like, you're kind of overreacting. But I backed her. I'm like, you know what? He shouldn't have a gun. So my sister and I talk with my dad. We're like, hey, you know, you should get rid of the gun. He's like, the gun's not even loaded. The bullets are in the closet and my sister's just getting more upset. She's like, you gotta get rid of it. And he's like, okay, okay, I'll put it away. I'll get rid of it. So my sister goes back to where she lives. It's. My brother, myself, my dad, and my mom. And my mom's getting a little bit better, which is good, but using a walker and her, her speech is a little slurred, but she's getting better. We can see the progress. One day, I go into the backyard, and it's, it's green grass, blue skies, just... The air is full of just the smell of vegetation and plants. It's just a beautiful day. And I see up against the fence, there's a skunk jumping around. (laughs) And my first thought was, is it having fun? Like, is this a good thing? (laughs) And then I'm like, oh no, skunks get rabies. Like, is it rabid? Has it gone mad? I walk closer and I see that the skunk's leg is caught in this trap. My parents' rancher neighbor, this macho Montana guy, they're all macho by the way, um, he had set up these gopher traps and they're not like when you go to Ace Hardware where it's like plastic gopher traps, but these are gopher traps from like the 1800s. These are Lewis and Clark styled jaws, rusty jaws that do not discriminate. So I see this and I go inside and I tell my parents the situation. I'm like, what do we do? Like, this skunk, its leg is caught. 
you know, we need to put it out of its misery. We can't let it suffer. And I tell them, I'm like, okay, like, where's the phone book so I can call animal control? (laughs) And I'm told, Jeffrey, this is Montana. (laughs) The animal control you do is what you do on your own. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, I go on Google and I start Googling humane ways to kill skunks. (laughs) I didn't have any of those materials on hand. So we're talking about it, and, you know, my dad, he's in his 80s, and, you know, a man who's owned guns all his life, he's like, I'm going to shoot the skunk. And I'm like... Are you? That doesn't sound like a good idea. (laughs) And he tells me, Jeffrey, if I can't shoot that skunk, I have no right to be out here. (laughs) So I lay out this case of why this is such a bad idea. I lay it out in a rational way. I'm like, Dad, you have trouble holding a fork at dinner? Like, (laughs) you drop that fork a lot, and (laughs) you holding a gun doesn't make a lot of sense. And I met with resistance from everyone. I'm told, Jeff, quit being over-analytical. Jeff, let Dad shoot the damn skunk. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, am I the only sane person here who thinks that an 80-year-old man should not handle a loaded gun? So I'm getting more upset. And let me just say my mom got a pass because she had a stroke. So her decision-making, she got a pass. But I'm getting more and more upset. And I'm just like, this is a bad idea. This is the worst idea. I go in the bathroom and I'm so upset that from just the worry and the anxiety that I have the, I'm like, I have the dry heaves. I'm almost puking from worry. There are tears in my eyes. I'm like, this can't happen. But I, I stand up and I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like... He's an adult. He can make his own decisions. This is his decision. So I go out and I'm like, okay, you're going to shoot the skunk, but I'm going to (laughs) supervise. So we walk out. It's my brother, my dad, and me. And I'm standing in the back and I see my dad, who's just this like, like Italian men, they just start shrinking. And he's, I just see this, this shrunken old man carrying this gun that just almost looked like comical in proportions. It just looks so big. And I'm standing back there, I'm just like, let this be over. Like, 
let's kill the skunk, let's be done. So my dad, he gets five feet from the skunk and he aims at it and I'm actually impressed at how steady he's holding the gun. I didn't know he had it in him. But he decides five feet is too far away. So he walks four feet from the skunk. I'm standing in the back. My heart is racing. I'm just like, let's get this over. This needs to be done. He squeezes the trigger. Bam! The skunk's still alive because he completely missed. (laughs) Thankfully, the neighbors are like miles away, so it's okay. So he cocks the gun. He walks three feet from the skunk. The gun, he kind of like fumbles with it for a moment. He kind of holds it sideways, and I see him looking at the gun, and I'm holding my breath. And the gun goes off. He wasn't aiming at anything. He did not have control of it. It goes off. And in that moment, everything stopped. I watched the gun fall to the ground. I watched my dad fall to the ground. And in that moment, all of my worst fears had come true. This situation that I had tried to control was completely out of my control. I started screaming in a way that I had never screamed before. Just, oh my God, oh my God. Just just visceral, just animal adrenaline, just flight or fight and in in the back of my mind I'm like I need to calm down I need to calm down but I'm just screaming I tell my brother to call 911 he goes and calls 911 I go over to where my dad is in the grass and there's blood on the front of his shirt and we're not a touchy-feely family in that moment I put my hands on his chest and it was wet with blood and I I had never touched my dad's chest, which was kind of odd, but I'm looking for a wound. I want to see where that bullet must have went. And there's no wound, but I'm like, I'm like, there's blood. And he's awake and he's telling me, he's like, Jeff, I've been shot. Jeff, I've been shot. And I'm looking around and I'm not seeing a wound And I look at his hand, and between his thumb and the index finger, that's where the blood's coming from. And I'm like, did you shoot your hand? Like, (laughs) is that even possible? (laughs) So I yell at my brother. I'm like, call 911 back. Tell him we're okay. (laughs) It's bad enough to call 911 once. But to call them back is even worse. So I pick him up by his arm and I lead him into the house. And my mom, who had not been a witness to any of this, is like, what the hell happened? 
And I'm like, oh, we think it looked like he got shot, but he didn't. It's okay. <laughs> so we get a dish rag and we put it on my dad's hand. And I go outside and I grab the gun and I unload it. I take out all the bullets. I put it in my pocket. I run in. I put the gun on the table. And what had been terror turned into rage. Like, I've never yelled at my dad or anyone in this way ever. Like, when I was a teenager, you know, there's that, like, hollow, false teenage rebellion of I hate this house, but I'm yelling at my dad in a way, and I mean every single word. I'm telling him that that was so dangerous. Someone could have been killed. That bullet could have went anywhere. No one listened to me. And I'm yelling, and I can see in everyone's eyes the weight, the seriousness of what could have gone wrong. So I drive my dad to the hospital, and, you know, it's a quiet ride, but I I kind of apologize to him for having yelled at him. And I see that sadness in his eyes, and we go into the emergency room, and I get a text from my mom asking how things are going. I'm like, he needs to get stitches. And then my mom sends me a text that just reads, the skunk is dead. <laughs> Two bullets did not miss their mark, but my screams stopped the heart of that skunk. Two months go by and we don't really talk about it. It's the day before I'm going to leave to go back to Phoenix. My dad sits down with me. He's like, Jeff, you know, I could see his, he's just slouched. Every muscle in his body just has sadness in it. And he's like, Jeffrey, I don't want you to hold this against me. And I'm like, I tell him, like, you're forgiven. But he tells me, he's like, I want the gun back. <laughs> And I tell him no, and he says, I want the gun back, I'm gonna get rid of it. So we go into a negotiation. (laughs) And I tell him, okay, I'll give you the gun if you give me the bullets. (laughs) And he stopped and he thought about it, and he said, you have a deal. So I got the bullets, he got the gun. The next day, I flew back to Phoenix, with one less worry. Thank you. still alive because he completely missed. Hi. Spoiler alert, it's going to get creepy. Okay. Well, hi. 
Uh, it's 2003, I'm 13 years old, and I pretty much spend all of my time alone in my room listening to my boombox. I'm painting it with glitter nail polish, waiting for the perfect song to come on so I can hit record on my cassette player. If I'm not doing that, I'm hanging out with Chelsea. She's my best friend, likes all the cool stuff I do. And we're probably in her room, because she has her own computer, and we're in some chat room we don't belong in, so we can get called posers by middle-aged men in the Midwest somewhere. Um, <laughs> but... We're excited. We actually have a reason to leave the house tonight. It's the first Friday of October, and they're showing The Crow. Every Friday this month, they're going to do a different cult classic to celebrate Halloween, and we're definitely down to celebrate Halloween early. We're there early. I'm in my crusty black boots and my new white dress with my black lipstick, feeling pretty cute. The lights are still on, um, and there aren't that many people in the theaters. They all seem to know each other. There's a wooden stage in front of the screen, and a guy gets up on stage, and he's not really much to look at. He's heavy set in his 30s with stringy blonde hair um, in all black. But when he starts talking, he really just gets everyone's attention. And he says, hi guys, my name is Jacob. Thanks for being here. Um, we're gonna get the movie started, but first we've got a costume contest. So come on up if you're ready to participate. Well, I didn't get the memo, but like, that's not gonna stop me. I smiled and I looked at Chelsea and she's not as amused as I am, but I dig my wet and wild lipstick out of my bag and I smeared across my face in a smile and two dashes down my eyes and I'm the crow. So I get up on the stage, and it seems like Jacob, the host, is fairly amused because he gives me third place even though I don't really deserve it. And we have so much fun that we go back every Friday. Before you know it, it's the last Saturday of the month, Halloween. And my dad agrees that he'll take me and Chelsea because it's really late, so we need a, a guardian. After we're done trick-or-treating, we go, and we're waiting in line to go up the escalators to the movie theater. And my stomach is definitely queasy because I ate way too much of my candy on the way here. But it's so exciting because now we're standing around all these people and it feels like the chat rooms we were obsessed with is like a literal room where people chat and that was new for me uh we're, we're hooked we go every week uh we're good kids so my dad says yeah this is a weird interest but fine you can go on your own um and now it's just another saturday about a month after and we're like halfway through damn it janet and it's the familiar smell of clove cigarettes and popcorn in the air and Everybody's got their best electrical tape pasties and trip pants on, and I just feel at home. It's... <laughs> I do. Um, it's so chaotic, though, that it's very easy for me to get up out of my seat unnoticed and slip into the cinema next door. I'm standing there alone, and I'm nervous in my own head, and my fingers find their way to my mouth, and I'm chewing up my fingernails. Jacob sneaks up on me, even though he's head first. He's much larger than me, and he's much older, too. I'm 13, and he's 35. And before I can really say anything, his tongue's towards the back of my throat, and I'm pinned up against the empty row of seats behind me. I really only can think, though, about the fucking fingernail that stuck in my braces. That's gross. <laughs> Let's hope he doesn't notice. Um, I think we're in the clear, though, because now his mouth's moving down to my chest, and um, my pink corset's pulled out of the way. It really doesn't feel like anything, so, I mean, he's enjoying it. Might as well let him. Uh, he looks up at me, though, and his eyes are all sparkly and smiley, and that makes me feel good to know I can make somebody's face look like that. I like that a lot. And I, we don't have much time. We're going to go back to the theater to finish the movie before anyone notices we're gone. Um, he stops me and says, Zoe, give me a few minutes before you go back to your friends, though, okay? Because nobody can see us together. You know that. Yep, I know. That's cool. So he heads out, and I fish that fingernail out of my braces with my tongue and swallow it. Okay. Well, 
This kind of continues, and honestly, it didn't take very long from Jacob to go from the random guy on the stage to the guy with the tongue in my mouth. Um, it really just looked like an email. On the back of the flyer, you could reach out if you wanted to be part of the cast, and I liked being on the stage a lot. So I wanted to get back up there ASAP. Uh, it turns out you definitely have to be 18 to do that, but I didn't have to be 18 to talk to him. We would talk on Yahoo Instant Messenger all the time, which felt very familiar to a shady little teenager in 2003. Um, but then things moved over to the phone, got more intimate. Uh, after my brothers and my mom and dad went to bed, I would go out into the living room and sit on the brown carpet. And I would sit with the white landline, twirling the little cord in my finger, fidgeting, and everything he said was just so perfect. I believed it all. Zoe, don't feel bad about not fitting in at school. You were meant for more. You're meant to stand out. You really are special, and I hope you know that. You're special to me. And I think it's so cool that you love all this stuff already so young. I would love to help you. You know, let me give you some CDs and books and movies and show you what else you might like. And he did. He kept my hands full of The Smiths, Drop Dead Fred, The Diary of Laura Palmer. I'm glad you got that. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and he would just tell me all of these things, and I would just sit there quietly listening as he told me, Zoe... You are a pedophile's wet dream. Not a fan of subtext. So I, obvi- like, I wasn't a dumb kid. I knew, obviously, like, that's not good. But I also really liked attention a lot, and it felt really cool to be seen and to feel important to someone who very clearly was important to all of the adults around me that seemed quite cool as well. He was like the ringleader of Rocky Horror, and the fact that he cared I existed felt really good. We couldn't hang out much at Rocky, though, so um, during the week, he'd pick me up. We'd hang out sometimes. He picked me up in his white van, and we headed over to Zia Records. And, of course, I had a real good time flicking through all the used CDs, the acrylic cases, and smelling the incense, and being intimidated by the cashiers. And (laughs) then it was time to head home before it was too late. So we're driving back into the suburbs, and the windows are down, and Fournon Blonde is on the radio, and he's singing, and he's so free, and I... I just hope that if I stay around this guy long enough, maybe I'll start to feel free too. Instead of taking a left into my neighborhood, he takes a right into an empty church parking lot and parks. His keys live the ignition and a seatbelt clicks open and I know what's gonna happen next. He gets his tongue back towards the back of my throat as usual and yeah, it just doesn't really feel like anything. I'd much rather be as he is, but I, this is my end of the deal and I don't really mind. Before long, he doesn't let things get too far um he puts the keys back in the ignition and hits the road and laughs he says wow if i didn't think i was going to go to hell before i definitely know i will now um we continue to hang out but you know i'm 13 and 13 year olds are very distracted by shiny objects so by the end of the summer i'm pretty over it and the funny thing is jacob never really um put up a fight there was no weird like climactic moment between him and i he just kind of let me go i think part of him was relieved because if I wasn't interested, it was a lot easier for him to control himself. Uh, And that's pretty much what I did. I decided I don't really want to be that kind of weird. Um, I want to be like the kids my age, and I want to go have fun. And so I do. For about 10 years, I lay low, keep it simple, pretty low risk. And I'm working retail. I'm behind the counter at that store that those weird people that went to Rocky Horror as a kid work at. Uh, And somebody comes by. I'm filling out my closing paperwork. I had a schedule, nice and tidy, with my favorite black pen. And I recognize this guy right away. He has some flyers for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And it's not Jacob, but it's a close friend of his. And he very clearly does not remember me, even though I've definitely been in his house. 
uh, hi there. He asked me, would you mind if I bring these flyers and leave them for your customers? Um, we're going to do a shadow cast of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I feel like they'd want to check it out. And I'm at work, so I say, of course, yeah, that would be great. Thank you so much. And I take the flyers from him, and they're like a little time warp in my hands. And I really could and should have left the conversation there, but like I don't. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, this is really, really cool. Thank you so much. Uh, You know what's so weird? I remember you were in the Shadow Castle, and I used to go as a kid. Yeah, no, I was just an audience member. I don't remember. I don't expect you to remember me. Uh, And he's smiling, like, yeah, cool. And then I ask him, yeah, so is it like everybody is the same? Like, is Jacob still there? And his face changes. He doesn't expect me to drop that name, but I didn't expect any of this either, so I guess we're, like, all on the level now. Uh, and he says, ah, no, no, I, I haven't seen Jacob in a while. We had a big falling out, and he left Rocky, and, uh, yeah, you won't see him there anymore. That was weird to me because I'm thinking, well... That was everything to him when I knew him. So if Jacob doesn't have Rocky, what is, what's he doing? And I think at this point, it was my f- turn for my face to give me away. And this guy continues and says, well, I guess you didn't hear what happened to him, did you? No, I hadn't. Apparently, he goes on to tell me, um, not that long ago, there was an anonymous tip to the police. And they raided Jacob's computer. And surprise, there was a bunch of child porn on it. But apparently everyone but me was shocked, which I find to be like the most lackluster plot twist ever. But I, again, I'm at work and I'm blindsided, so I just say, wow, that's, that's crazy. Oh, uh, I mean, I guess at least he got caught. Uh, yeah, okay, I'll come check out Rocky Horror. Thanks for the flyers, bye. I really just wanted like a boring night. I think at that moment, I kind of just wanted a boring, normal life. <laughs> And all I want to do is count those drawers, pull down the gate, head home, pack a bowl, go to bed. Yeah. (laughs) And I technically did all of those things. However, the bowl said unhit, and I'm sitting in the middle of my unbaited bed, and I can't fucking stop thinking about it. So um, the guy at the mall, he mentioned to me on his way out that there was an article online if I wanted to know more. And of course I do. I check it out. And there it is, his mugshot, his charges. Uh, Jacob was originally charged with 13 counts of sexual exploitation of a minor. However, he drew out the case for years, did a plea agreement, only got charged with two and got probation. He's literally active on Twitter right now. That's weird. He is not a registered sex offender. Uh, So I was sitting there thinking and feeling a lot of things that I very actively avoided feeling and thinking for a very long time. Really felt like if I could just keep moving forward, I would never have to think about this again. Nobody knew, and it'd be fine, but that's not really how it works. These thoughts flooded my brain like, well, damn, maybe if you would have fucking told somebody these 13 counts wouldn't have happened. Or, wow, I guess you really aren't. (laughs) You aren't that special after all. I really believed everything he said to me. He got me good. But the thing is, he may not have meant what he said to me, but it's fucking true anyway. And, uh... Um... Yeah, I never, like, did, like, the moth ending thing where I, like, got therapy and told my mom or anything like that, but, like, I've got a crew of friends that are here with me now that care, and... And just sitting here and saying this story out loud to myself and thinking about it, that's the ending. That's the happy ending. It was great. (laughs) That's it.
This is Risk. This is Matracia behind me now. M-A-T-R-A-C-I-A. And before that, we heard from Zoe, a story that she shared when Risk was last in Phoenix, Arizona. Before that, a little interstitial by our episode. Well, I guess it was really just an excerpt from a Beatles song. (laughs) But our episode editor, Jeff Barr, prepped it. Now, whenever I talk about Stamps.com, I'm reminded, you know, how much more inconvenient it was to have to go to the post office years ago before we started using Stamps.com here at Risk and the Story Studio. Especially at this time of year during the holidays when the post office gets extra busy. That's why you need Stamps.com. Anything you can do at the post office, you can do with Stamps.com. All of those services of the U.S. Postal Service you have right at your computer. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. You'll get five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. No wonder over 700,000 small businesses use Stamps.com. So, don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year. Sign up for Stamps.com instead. There's no risk with our promo code risk (laughs) you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts just go to stamps.com click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in risk that's stamps.com enter risk stamps.com never go to the post office again now when we released the risk book in i think it was july of 2018 we let everyone know that there were six, I think it was either six or seven stories in the book that had never been heard on the podcast before. This was one of them. This next story is, you know, we finally decided, hey, let's run it, you know, uh, because if you've enjoyed the Risk book, you've probably really loved this story. And now here you get to hear it in the original version, the the version that was told live on stage when Risk visited New Orleans a few years back. You can find Tom Coleman at coleman360.com. And here he is now with a story we call Chasing the Sunset. When my wife told me to come in the bedroom and sit down. When my wife told me to come in the bedroom and sit down. I knew exactly what she was going to say because she told me the exact same thing, the exact same way, seven years before. We're pregnant. Like it was a surprise, sweetheart. 
We have three kids. We know how you catch that. And you've been exposed. Anyway, she was a devout little Catholic girl playing Russian roulette with natural birth control. So it was only a matter of time, but her timing, seven years. And it was seven years before that. Now we're talking locust. But cute locusts. Oh, we made some pretty babies, and we were ready to spoil this one, too. Kathy herself was the baby of eight and spoiled rotten. I was the oldest of six wanting to spoil her for the rest of her life because she was five feet of smile, pure smile. That was like a magnet, and I was stuck. We got married when we were both too young to know what we were doing. Settled down in her hometown and had a couple of kids, a boy and a girl. Perfect little couple, dirt poor, as her parents would say. They helped us out a lot. Too much. So when I got a real job offer out of state, I knew she was going to veto it. But she surprised me and said, let's go. So we uprooted our little family from South Louisiana moved up north and something interesting happened. We became Mr. and Mrs. Coleman, no longer Amy and Cliff's daughter and her husband. And Kathy became the matriarch. It was kind of cool. This little small teenager became a mama and a housemaker and every house we had she made into a home. And we had a lot of houses because we kept moving. Our fifth house found me in the corporate office in Atlanta. And she made a home there too, but she did more than that. She made a community. I love to watch her do that. I was jealous of that because that smile, that personality had a gravitational pull that you couldn't escape. And people were just attracted to her. I used to have this voyeuristic thrill watching a complete stranger encounter full frontal Kathy. It was mesmerizing and scary and very amusing. I wanted to do that. Now, before you think I'm trying to talk about a Saint Kathy here, let me just explain something. That little dark-haired Cajun girl was stubborn as a cat and had a temper that I could make her lose in a heartbeat. I could wipe that cute little smile off her face in a flash. That was kind of my lame superpower. And I may have overused it. I thought I did, but baby number three came in Atlanta. First child born on non-Cajun soil, and Kathy used to tell me, I'm homesick, I wanna go home. So she and the kids would make that 10-hour car trip back to Mama's five or six times a year to recharge that smile. Remember I said I wanted to spoil her? put in for a job transfer to one of our offices in South Louisiana. It wasn't home, but it was close to it. I should say far enough away for comfort. So there we are living in Thibodeau, Louisiana. You know Thibodeau? Yeah. On an Atlanta salary. You could say we were comfortable. <laughs> we were a little bit too comfortable because now we were pregnant. Now, all three of her other pregnancies, they were great. This one started off rough. 
and it got rougher. And the doctors put her on immediate and complete bed rest. Couldn't get up. Which meant that I was Mr. Mom. And I was pathetic. I'm a Delta Elite member. I'm a frequent flyer. I don't know how to do laundry. You can tell me how to explain to a 14-year-old boy that pink sheets are okay. I'm all ears. About three months before she was due, we had a tragedy in my family. I lost one of my younger brothers. and It, it really shook me because he was the first one in my generation to go. Kathy was sad she couldn't make the funeral and she kept asking me, are you okay? I said, I'm okay, I'm fine. I had to share with her a phrase that someone told me when my mother died many years before. If you should die today, your family will eat supper tomorrow. Which means you can't die with the dead. Just because they can't go on living is no reason for you not to. Just keep them alive in your memory. Well, Kathy's condition never got that much better, so the doctors wanted to do a stress test. Put her in the hospital, keep her for observation for a couple of days. Sure. She went in on Thursday, passed with flying colors. Woo! Friday was celebration. I mean, she granted so many audiences in that room, family, friends coming to congratulate her. By the end of that day, she was exhausted. Told her I was gonna take the kids home, feed them dinner, after I put them to bed, I'm gonna come back and visit for a while. I wasn't home very long when she called and asked if I could come early because she wasn't feeling right. When I got to her hospital room, she was in a lot of pain. All I could do was hold her hand. The nurses were trying to take care of stuff and I didn't know what to do. Finally, an alarm went off and I looked and it was a blood pressure monitor. The nurse asked her, do you have a headache? And she says, is excruciating. Do you see flashes of light in your eye? And then she squeezed my hand and said, I can't see anything. The nurse tried to ask her some more questions. She couldn't answer. It was gibberish, nonsense. And then her hand went limp. A whole bunch of doctors and nurses came in, grabbed the bed, the alarm, and rushed everything down the hall and left me sitting alone in a hospital room trying to figure out what am I going to do next. Pretty soon a nurse came in and said, you better call some people. You're having a baby tonight. Well, pretty soon the kids arrived with our neighbors who are our closest friends there and we waited and waited and waited until the pediatrician finally came out and said, it's a boy. But we got a lot of work to do. I said, hello, Graham. And we watched through a window as a whole team was around this little table working real, real fast. And over at the nurse's station, overheard somebody calling and saying, we need a helicopter transport for a mother and a newborn to New Orleans. Just a few minutes later, they cancel that order and say we need air transport for a premature infant to the neonatal unit in Baton Rouge. I didn't know if that was better or worse. In a little while they wheeled Graham out in what looked like a fish tank. 
so many wires and tubes on them you couldn't even see the three pounds of baby that was underneath but they opened a little porthole let me touch him and then shot him off into the night we waited there for a good long time till the doctor came out and said Kathy's in a lot of trouble her liver ruptured and there's nothing we can do about it we're gonna put her in ICU well I told everybody go home I'll call y'all if there's any news now an ICU waiting room is a bright and cold and very uncomfortable place and there's only one thought that kept coming in my head Kathy's gonna be stuck in this hospital for God knows how long and her baby is 65 miles away she is going to be hysterical I didn't know how I was gonna manage that it was ooh, real real early the next morning when a, a doctor came out introduced himself as a neurologist and said scans show there's blood on Kathy's brain it does not sound good he told me he'd keep me updated half an hour later news was the same half hour after that it was many half hours later that two doctors came out and told me we can't detect any brain activity you might want to call your family in not too long later that waiting room was filled with faces that I knew and all in a state of shock the doctors came to me and asked me what do you want to do I told them I didn't know that was a lie if there's one thing that Kathy and I talked about it was if everything seems hopeless we don't want to be kept alive by a machine look pretty hopeless just then the priest came in went to Kathy's room then I saw him talking to the doctors and he came and he talked to me held my hand looked me in the eye and said Kathy's not there you know I said I know if I was honest with myself I would say I knew that last night I'm just very grateful to the doctors that they gave Graham a birthday all to himself and left a dark anniversary follow the next day I made my decision then now I had to tell my kids and that is the hardest damn thing I have ever done in my life how do you tell a six-year-old how to say goodbye to his mama They took us into her room. I reached under the sheet to touch her. Every night when we go to bed together, I needed what I called a skin fix. I needed to touch a shoulder, an arm, a thigh, a hip, something. I just needed that connection. I needed to connect with that smile. I did. I got my final skin fix. I felt her warmth for the last time. doctor asked me if I wanted to stay I said no 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 I've already said my goodbyes I can't stand to watch her go you remember that crap I was talking about not dying with the dead fuck that because at that moment I had no desire to go on living every hope every dream every plan that I've ever had involved that woman laying right there 
and now I didn't have a rudder. I remember crying myself to sleep that night, dreaming of chasing the sunset to never let that day in. But I knew I just had to sit still and let that dark night overtake me and pray to God that there's a sunrise. My days were full of Graham and the kids. We made that three-hour round trip to Baton Rouge every single day. We were his little cheerleaders until he came home four weeks later on our 23rd wedding anniversary. Brand new celebration. The town of Thibodeau saved my life. Everybody pitched in, but at night, it was just me and him, mano a mano. One night, he woke up about 2 a.m. for his feeding, and I reached over to an empty spot in the bed, and I said, it's your turn. And for a split second, I forgot. And it hurt all over again. It was always my turn. Well, I finally had to go back to work. I had a real job. And I was kind of excited, too, because my 20-year anniversary with the company was coming up. And I, I was kind of wondering, what do you get for 20 years? Apparently, it's a pink slip. I got laid off. But you know what I told them? Okay, see ya. They were shocked. I said, hey, I have just endured one of the worst tragedies that anybody could. And I'm still standing. I'm a changed man. A lot of change going on. I've learned not only to expect change, but to embrace it. And I wanted to change. All those fantastic qualities that Kathy had, I didn't want that to be lost. I was going to take them and run with it. I wanted to learn how to say yes all the time. I never wanted to leave a stranger in my wake, but a friend along the path. And I wanted to do it all with a smile. And while I was changing, when I'd go whole hog, I got a job offer from Dallas, Texas. That meant I was giving up my Thibodeau support network. We're going to try this new family without training wheels. Single parenting sucks. <laughs> but basically, that's what Kathy was doing, too. But you know what? It's the most rewarding damn thing I have ever done in my life. It's awesome. But let me tell you what. We made that trip to Granny's quite often <laughs> for me to recharge. And then one day, any plans that I thought I might have, like I really tried to make plans, were just toast. Because I met her. Pamela is a loser. <laughs> like me. We both lost something very precious to us. And empathy among widows and widowers is tremendous. But you've got to believe that this invitation to coffee was as innocent as it could be. I swear to God. All I wanted to do was commiserate, to talk with someone who understood what life after death really meant. I mean, she was tall, blonde, very young and beautiful. She wasn't my type. 
shit. <laughs> More appropriately, I wasn't her type. But we were talking, found out that I went to college 10 miles from where she was born and raised. She asked me, what do you think would have happened if we would have met when you were at school? I said, I would have been arrested. You were 12. <laughs> you know, when you quit playing the game and your defense walls are down, there's a chance that somebody might sneak into that very personal and private place you have. And things can get very serious. And they did. Now I had a big task. How do I tell Kathy's mom? She cried. She cried and told me I must have really been in love with her daughter. Because only someone so in love could miss it so much that they would want it back. And she was right. Pamela is the only mother that Graham has ever known. He knows all the stories about Mama Kathy, but to him they're just stories. And by the way, he graduates high school in May. He survived me. That's awesome. Pamela didn't marry Kathy's husband. Pamela married the man that Kathy changed. And both of us know that sooner or later, one of us is going to experience another sunset. But you know what? Right now, we're smiling and celebrating the hell out of this sunrise. for this week's episode folks this is bonnie light horseman behind me now and we just heard from tom coleman who you can find at coleman360.com don't forget that story is also in the risk book if you haven't picked up the risk book yet 
I don't know what you're waiting for. It's anywhere books are sold. We have hundreds of great reviews for the book on Amazon. It's in audio or ebook or paperback form. You can also find it at theriskbook.com. Now, don't forget that our school, The Story Studio, is now going to be offering live online group storytelling classes conducted via video conference. So you can take group storytelling classes with other students anywhere in the world. We have our two-day online group storytelling classes coming up this weekend, November 16th and 17th, scheduled to fit the schedules of students in East Asia for this particular one. So if that works for you, or if you'd like to stay informed about other online group storytelling classes from the Story Studio, just email admin at thestorystudio.org and let us know. We'll keep you in the loop. We hope to see many of our Risk fans from around the world joining us in these classes soon. And don't forget how much it means to us when people become members and support us over at patreon.com slash risk. Tons of bonus content over there and all sorts of other ways to win prizes and all that's at patreon.com slash risk and it is hugely hugely helpful to help keep all this running folks today's the day take a risk Looks like it's working. Yeah, I'm just starting mine, too. Okay. Cool. So, let's see here. Looks like you got a haircut. (laughs) No, I didn't. (laughs) Oh, well. It looks like. It's just washed. (laughs) Yeah. Finally. Finally, a hair washing.